All right, I'm here with um, our scripture for the morning, and we're going to be reading two different scriptures, so if you have a phone or a Bible, you can take that out, and um, if not, it's going to be on the screen, so my left and right. We're going to start with the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, and we've been reading this scripture for the last several weeks as we're in this study of the fruit of the Spirit, which we're concluding this morning. So starting in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The second passage we'll be reading is from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. The word of the Lord. What's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Renaissance. For the last number of weeks, we've been in this series uh, called Fruit of the Spirit, And we've been looking at the markers or the indications of a supernaturally changed life, a life that has been changed from the inside out. Basically, we've been looking at joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, all of these things, which, as John Maxwell says, are fruit that never go bad, right? These are never things that you don't want in your life. There will never be a time in your life when you say, you know what? Peace is kind of overrated. I don't need that anyway. Uh, And for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at these things. Uh, How is it that we would grow these things in our life? And from the outset, every week, we've tried to mention that these aren't things that you will just will yourself to, but these are, in fact, a fruit of the Spirit. This is what God does in our life from the inside out. And today, we're talking about a a really big one called self-control. Now, self-control is pretty self-explanatory. It is self-control. You guys are smart. You guys did great on your SATs. 
Uh, but I wanted to give a definition of it to flesh it out a little bit more. And basically, uh, the definition I got, it should be on the screen, is self-control is the ability to do what we value instead of what our impulses drive us to do. The ability for you and me to do what we value, uh, like be kind to someone, like not spaz out on your kids, like not spaz out on your boss, to be patient. It's the ability to do what we value, things that we actually value instead of what our impulses drive us to do. Now, the Greek word is egokratia, which basically means self-command, and in some senses, uh, it's a synonym for being free because basically it means that you are not under the control of your impulses, that your impulses are not um, in the driver's seat, basically taking you any direction that they want to go in. And Paul says it in verse 21. He says, um, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And here we see two things that we're going to unpack today. Number one, that there are things inside of you and me that need to be controlled. Paul talks about this evil in him, these impulses, these appetites in us that need to be controlled, that left unchecked, they will take you down a road that you don't want to go down, and they will make you stay longer than you want to stay. Uh, not only are there, as Paul's saying, that there's evil inside of us, that there's things that need to be controlled, but he's also saying that there is an ability uh, for people to control them. That he's not just pointing out um, our, uh, what's going on inside of us, but he's also saying simultaneously that there is an ability for us to control it. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, he's basically saying that there is a spirit of God inside of us that supersedes us and that allows us to live lives that please God. Now, self-control is a, is a really big one. It allows us to uh, do what we value instead of um, what the impulses are driving us to do. And self-control is a huge, huge, huge thing. Um, sometimes uh, sometimes self-control is about small stuff like what you eat or what you don't eat, uh, right? So every single day, my first thing I do as soon as I'm leaving the office to come home is I call my wife to see if she wants me to get anything from the store. And I don't do it because I'm a nice guy. I do it because once I get home, I don't want to go back out. So it's like, yo, tell me what you want now because I ain't going back out. It's too hot outside. And sometimes she'll say, oh, we need milk or we need something for the baby. And when usually I stop at that bodega, uh, but I'm good until I get to the counter and I see the snicker bar staring me in my face, daring me to not buy it. And sometimes I have the self-control to, to, to not buy it. And other times, uh, not so much. Um, a couple months ago, uh, I was there and my wife told me to pick up some milk or something at the store, bought a snicker. And I tried to hurry up and eat it before I got home. So she, she didn't smell that peanut and nougat on my breath. And as soon as I walked in the door, she was standing right there, ready to give me a kiss. And I didn't want to get caught, so I just started an argument like, whoa, whoa, whoa. kiss me after the way you talk to me? You're crazy. You got some nerve trying to kiss me. So, case, hey, if you, if you ever want to avoid something, just start an argument about something and you'll be fine. Uh, but other times, self-control is about big stuff, and, and a lack of self-control uh, more than anything else, has ruined people, has ruined families, has ruined careers, uh, has ruined people from the inside out. And I've, and I've seen firsthand people who have thrown their lives away, uh, not because they weren't talented, not because they weren't smart, not because they weren't driven, but they simply had no self-control. They didn't have the ability to do what they valued over what their impulses told them that they had to do. Uh, a couple months back, um, man, I was in a really... A difficult place. One of the pastors that I looked up to for the last decade 
uh, I read an article that he was being kicked out of his church, that he had done a bunch of things, that he had lost basically control over himself, and it led to his demise. Now, this guy, I read his books, uh, I read his blogs, I followed his career, I looked up to him, I listened to his sermons, uh, so many things that I, I really valued about him, and there he was getting kicked out of his church. And it wasn't because he wasn't driven, it wasn't because he wasn't smart, it wasn't because he didn't know how to cast vision and electrify people and get people excited around a cause, it was simply because he didn't have self-control. Now, the, the writer of Proverbs says it like this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Um, in the days of the Bible, um, uh, cities weren't like New York or Boston or another city where you can kind of come and go and there was just like a sign that says, welcome to Yonkers or something like that. Uh, cities were uh, usually on a hill elevated to, to protect themselves and that they would build these huge walls around city, sort of what a certain politician was trying to do. But the, um, I've already said I have low self-control, so. In order to protect themselves, what they wanted to do was build this wall around to protect them from, coming, from invaders coming in. And what he's saying is this, that someone without self-control is like a city that doesn't even have walls, that things can come and go as they please. That there's no law, there's no order, there is purely dysfunction and thieves and robbers and people can come and go as you please and there's total chaos, total disruption. And this is what he's saying, if we don't have self-control in our lives, this is what your life is going to look like. That things will come and go out of your mouth as they please, not as you want them to go. That your actions will come and go as they please, as your impulses drive them to go, instead of what you actually value. And self-control is a huge, huge thing. And I, I hope as we even start this topic, I hope that there are a number of things that come to your mind right now that you need help with. And if you can't think of an area that needs to be controlled, your pride, I'll fill in the blank for you, it's your pride that needs to be controlled. If you can't think of anything else that needs um, control. So the scripture warns us uh, against this enemy inside of us that can destroy us. Uh, Paul says it like this, that it's not something that's outside of you. It's not something that's 10 miles away. It is something that lives inside of you. This is your roommate that eats the last piece of bread so you can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. These are things that you cannot kick out. You can't shoo them away. This is a permanent resident in your life, and you have to learn how to manage it. Now, this thing that's inside of us, uh, I think, is best understood as an appetite, right? In all of us, we are the product of our appetites. Uh, we are the product. We will do what we crave and what we desire to do. And ultimately, the thing that Paul is talking about is in, in Romans 7, 21, this evil that lives inside of us, are these appetites that will drive us to do things. And much more than your um, desires, much more than your education, much more than anything else in your life, uh, your appetites will determine the direction and the outcome of your life. Your appetites, more than what you say you want to happen, more than what you um, surround yourself around, the things, that are, the things that you desire the most, that will be what is going to be the biggest predictor of what your life is going to be like. And unless you get your appetites under control, we will never be able to do the things that we value over the things that our impulses uh, tell us to do it. Paul talks about it pretty classically in verses 18 and 19. He says it like this, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
He's saying this, listen, I desire to do the right thing. I have all of the desires to do the right thing, but I have these appetites inside of me that are making it uh, pretty difficult. And I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this about yourself, that you wake up in the morning with the desire to do a good thing. And by 11.52, that is gone completely out the window. You walk into a meeting at work like, yo, you know what, today, I'm not gonna say anything. And then like 10 minutes into the meeting, you stand on top of the table with somebody's tie in your hand, like, Earl, if you don't shut up. We have the desire to do um, good things, but we don't always uh, have the ability to carry it out. And so many families, so many relationships have been destroyed, not because people didn't have the desire to do good things. Uh, it's funny when we do um, marital counseling or counseling for a couple that's really struggling and you'll see people arguing like, well, you don't even want me. Like, and people say, no, I do want to do it. I just can't. And people think that's a cop out, but it's a very real thing that unless we get our appetites in check, in verse 20, Paul says, now, if I do what I don't want, it's no longer I who, who does it, but the sin that dwells in me. Here's what Paul is talking about, that it dwells, it lives, it's there, it's permanent, it's not going to go away pretty easily. Now, there's a few things that's true about me, that's true about you, that's true about every person in this church. We all have a certain number of appetites in our life, and unless we get these appetites under control, they will drive us to do things that are impulses and will take us off the ledge. And it doesn't matter if you're from America or from Bangladesh, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Latino, it doesn't matter if you got a GED or a PhD, all of us have certain appetites. Uh, for, first one that I can think of is acceptance. Now, we are all acceptance magnets. Deep down inside, at your job, in school, in a church, in your family, in relationships, the number one thing you want is to be accepted. And one of the most uh, difficult things for people is when they don't feel accepted. And they'll interpret things that uh, uh, feel as rejection, and it crushes people, it crushes relationships, it crushes people's ability to stay at the job because they don't feel uh, accepted. And we all have this deep need uh, to be accepted by God and by other people. That's why for thousands of years, people have created religions, different systems trying to figure out what does it take for God to accept me? Wear this hat, done. Pray like this, cool, on it. Uh, go to this place, I'm there. And for thousands of years, people have done any and everything. They've gone to wars, they've done all of these things just in pursuit of trying to be accepted. And you and I are acceptance magnets. It happens from a very young age, and it's something that we will always live with the entirety of our lives. Not only is it acceptance, but also recognition. We have this desire for people to see us and to see the good work that we've done. This is why Jesus warns the Pharisees in Matthew 6. He says, yo, listen, when you stand out and pray, don't be like the Pharisees who want to pray and, you know, have on all these clothing and they want everybody to see what they've done. Uh, but you go in your closet and pray to your father and what he sees you do in secret, he'll reward for you. Now, all of us deep down inside have this thing that we want to be recognized for the good things that we do. The other day, uh, my wife and I were cleaning the house and I don't clean often. It's like the first time I've really cleaned since the you know, Millard Fillmore administration uh, in his presidency. It was a good presidency that he had. Um, and there was this huge pile of dirt under the bed that I had sweeped out. And Jess was in the kitchen doing something. And I waited for her to be done so she can see the big pile. I was like, oh, yeah, that's just something I just sweeped up. It was like, it was just, it was just a mess. But you know, I, I did that, you know, so it's no big deal. That's just, that's just when I clean, I like to just get it real down and dirty, you know? Deep down inside, we all want to be recognized for the good things uh, that we do. 
Respect. 99% of fights that happen, happen because somebody was disrespected. It doesn't happen because of a deep ideological difference. It happens because someone felt disrespected. And at the core of divorces and family separations is that somebody was disrespected. There are people in families that haven't talked to each other in decades because somebody was dis disrespected over coleslaw. And now, 20 years later, they don't even talk to each other, even though they're family, not because of the coleslaw. And listen, I'm not a big mayonnaise coleslaw person myself, so if you're, whatever, that's a little story. Respect drives us to do so many different things, and deep down inside, we're in search of it. And if we don't find it, uh, we will, it will lead us into dysfunction. Love, all of us want love, uh, to pour ourselves out and to be able to enjoy good things with other people. Security, we want to feel like we have, um, that we're secure, that uh, we can pay our bills, that we have food in the refrigerator. Uh, we have this deep need to know that we're safe and that we're secure. Uh, things, uh, we have an appetite for things, and in some ways that's good because God created this world for us to have things to use and to enjoy. And not only that, but progress. Uh, you and I have a deep need to give ourselves to a cause that really matters and to, that our life wouldn't stand still, that we want to move forward, we want to grow in our jobs, in our relationships, in our walk with God. It's something inside of us that all of us have. And these are all of our appetites, and we can go down more and more and more in the list. And here's three things about our appetites that we got to know. Uh, I got this off of a blog from Andy Stanley. He's a really great communicator, so I just stole his list. If you don't like it, then it's not mine anyway. Um, Three things about our appetites. Uh, number one, God created them and sin distorted them. God created our appetites, but sin uh, distorted them. God created acceptance and, and re recognition and respect and love and security and progress. He, he created these desires in all of us. He created these appetites in all of us, but sin distorts them. And here's where we get into trouble. Not that we want love, uh, but we get, we get into trouble when we get the distorted versions of what's going on. So God created acceptance, and instead of just acceptance, we don't want that. We want fame. Uh, and the desire for fame is at the bottom of our need for validation, to prove ourselves worth uh, by becoming worthy in the eyes of other people. To prove our self-worth uh, by becoming worthy in the eyes of, ever, of other people. So God created a good thing for acceptance, and we have this appetite that has been distorted into fame. I was eating dinner, and there was a bunch of teenage girls, and one of them said, oh, my God, I posted this Instagram pic like an hour ago, and it only has 12 likes. I'm deleting it. Like, she couldn't tolerate the thought of not having 72 likes on Instagram. Like, she couldn't tolerate the thought that other people didn't validate her and other people didn't validate her to make her feel like she was worthy. And the distortion of that, the distortion of just simply wanting to be accepted, which is a good thing, is us wanting to be famous. And instead of um, recognition, it's we want to be envied. We don't want to be just be recognized for the good things that we do. We want other people to envy us. When we walk in a room, we want people to stop and to stare at us and our crew and to bow down at how great of a, a person and our crew we are. And envy comes with a, as a result of us being preoccupied with comparison and repeatedly measuring our self-worth against other people. Now, instead of respect, we want honor. We don't, uh, we're not simply satisfied by being respected. We want to be honored above uh, other people. 
Instead of love, uh, it turns into lust. Instead of mutually pouring yourself out for someone else, uh, we turn people into objects that are there for our, our benefit, our enjoyment, our fulfillment, our satisfaction, and love gets distorted into lust. And people are here just to please me. Uh, people are here just to do what makes me feel good. Instead of security, it turns into greed. And here's a big one, y'all. Listen, God gave us a need and an appetite to feel secure. What that happens is um, we tend to distort that into greed and we start to hoard our money. And instead of being generous with our money and to think ahead of how we want to spend, uh, we actually just start stacking our money and spending everything on ourselves. And instead of um, being content with the things that we have, uh, we just buy more and more and more things that we don't need and half of the time can't really afford. This is why you can stand in front of a closet full of clothes and say what? I don't have nothing to wear. I don't got nothing to wear. Like, you got 82 shirts and you don't have anything to wear. And instead of progress, we want perfection. We're not content and satisfied with um, growing and being uh, on, the, on, the, on the plane of progress. We want to be perfect. I've talked to people about their spiritual walk with God, and uh, we'll have a long conversation about where they are, and they're just so unhappy, so dissatisfied. And I'm like, well, how were you doing last year or two years ago? Oh, I'm doing better than that, but still. And we, we're not able to celebrate what God is doing in our life because we want to be perfect. Oh, yeah, I'm doing better than a couple of years ago, but so what? Because I can do this, 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 and this. Listen, these are distorted appetites that uh, if we're not careful, if we don't uh, take every effort to manage them, these appetites will drive us to do what our impulses want us to do instead of what we value. Here's the second really cool thing about appetites. Um, so God created them and sin distorted them. But number two, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Your appetites will never be fully and finally satisfied. There will never be enough recognition. There will never be enough honor and respect. There will never be enough, enough uh, acceptance in your life. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Have you ever eaten a meal and been so full, and like, yo, I'm never eating again, right? And then three hours later, you're looking for Cheez-Its in the cabinet. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfying. Uh, Paul calls it a law. And here's the so cool. He says, uh, verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And if you have a paper Bible, underline uh, this law or highlight it in your iPad or iPhone. If you have a droid, keep it in your pocket. Um, we'll, don't bring those out. So he says, I find this law at work. And by law, he doesn't mean like a speed limit, like don't go more than 25 miles an hour. He means law, like a natural law, like gravity. So here's what Paul is basically saying, that this thing will always be around. Like there will never be a time where you're walking down the street and you just float away. Like, yeah, I was late for the meeting. I was walking down 2-5th. And yo, I just started floating, kid. Like, I, I don't know what happened. I had to grab onto the light pole. Gravity just somehow ceased to exist for those 48 seconds. Right? Nobody would believe that as a reason that you're late for the meeting uh, because gravity is a law. It's universal. It's permanent. It's not something that ever goes away for any reason. And here's what Paul is saying, that I find this law at work in us. If there is something that's always going to be around, it's never going to be fully and finally satisfied. It is always at work in your life. It is always nagging you. It is always calling you for more and more. 
Number three, your appetites always whisper now and never later. Your appetites always whisper now and never later. Nobody wants to be respected 10 years from now. Nobody watches a romantic comedy and says, man, I would love to fall in love in 2022. Man, that would be, that would be really, really good. Our appetites always whisper now and, and never later. And here's what makes this so crazy when it comes to self-control. If you haven't been paying attention to anything, pay attention now and you can go back to sleep in a couple of seconds. The one thing that you and I need for self-control, in addition to the Holy Spirit's guidance, you and I need very clear boundaries. You and I need things in our life that we have made decisions about in advance that will set us up for success later. So it's called advanced decision-making. The best thing you can do for your self-control is to not uh, put yourself in situations where you have to make a last-minute decision, but that you would make advanced decisions about what's going on in your life. Case in point, uh, how many people have, have ever gone food shopping when you're hungry and you don't have a list? Years ago, I went food shopping and I was starving. I didn't have no list. I was just walking around Costco aimlessly. I wasn't even eating the samples. I was just like buying everything I can get my hands on. And I ended up buying like a crate of peaches. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna make peach cobbler. I'm gonna fry these joints for breakfast. And it's crazy, because I'm allergic to peaches. I don't even know what I was thinking about, but I just started buying a whole bunch of stuff. And the worst time to make a decision is when you're in the heat of the moment. The worst time to make a decision and say, oh, I don't have any self-control. It's not that you don't have any self-control, you didn't make any advanced decisions. You want to know when that absolute worst time, people who are dating, you want to know when the worst time to have a conversation about boundaries, two o'clock in the morning on somebody's couch, when Netflix is done, and it's only time to chill. The worst time to have any, to think that you would have any self-control is at two o'clock in the morning on somebody's couch, and I know I'm talking right, right now. Y'all don't have to leave in... My wife and I were dating. We tried to have conversations that weren't the 2, 2 a.m. on somebody's couch conversation because we knew if we got into that place, I couldn't cry later that I didn't have any self-control. It's not that I didn't have self-control. I let my, my impulses went crazy because I didn't make advanced decisions about what I would do. And the number one thing that lack, we lack in our lives, we don't, we don't have walls and, and barriers in our life because we don't make the advanced decisions. And we leave everything to chance and to say, hey, hopefully Jesus will, um, you know, Jesus will be strong in my life. We're just going to pray at 2 a.m. You know, we're going to take communion wine together and then we'll be fine. It's a recipe for disaster. Now, advanced decision making is, is true in every area of our life. Now, you and I need to get before God in prayer and submit major things in our life to him at a time when you can think straight and you can think clearly. And if we make these decisions, if we have boundaries and barriers in place to our life so that we can actually do the thing that we decided to do, we will find our self-control rise remarkably. So often I talk to people and they come to church and this is what they say to me sometimes. Hey, man, I'm so glad I came to church today. I needed to hear that word or something like that. And normally what I think to myself, I don't always say it because I'm too passive aggressive, so I'll just say it from the stage, um, is why are you leaving um, your spiritual growth up to chance, up to whether or not it rained? 
up to whether or not you wanted to stay out late last night, but you weren't intentional about your community group attendance or joining and being a part of something or making sure that you are being fed on a weekly basis in community, in, in Sunday morning worship, that there's something that coming to Sunday morning worship that it does to your heart. I was listening to a podcast last night um, and they were talking about these group of like Christian missionary kids that were in uh, internment camps in, in Japan in, during World War II. And the woman described that they would sing songs as the Japanese soldiers were coming in to get them and usher them out. And one time they were singing Psalm 46, the Lord is our help and our refuge, a very present source of strength in the time of trouble. And as they were singing these songs in the face of guns being put in their faces, they felt real strength and real power entering into their lives just by the songs that they were singing. And listen, we don't gather together for worship experiences just to come together for the heck of it. That God does something inside of our lives. That God meets us here in this place. That God, uh, his, through his word and through the, through the spirit, meets us here. And we can't leave that up to chance whether or not uh, you had brunch plans in Brooklyn at 2 p.m. Listen, advanced decision making about every area of our life is the thing that's going to lead us to a life of greater uh, self-control. Last one uh, is uh, how we use our money. Now, one of the reasons we have um, online giving here set up at Renaissance is because we know that in the heat of the moment, there's always another use of money that you can discover. Like, you can always figure out how to use a couple hundred bucks a month uh, if you were not intentional about how are you going to spend it. There's always something else to buy. There's always another vacation to plan. And unless you make an advanced decision uh, to sit down and kick before God and say, God, I want to be a generous person. Please tell me how much I should be giving to these organizations that I love or the church or whatever it is that you want to give your money, that you and I will find ourselves spending that money on other things. And it's not because we don't have self-control per se. It's because we haven't made advanced decisions. So God created them and sin distorted them. Appetites are never fully and fi finally satisfied. And number three, uh, our appetites always whisper now and never later. Now, here's some really cool things that Paul talks about, about our appetites and about our ability. Paul doesn't paint a rosy picture that you will somehow leave this place and summon up the internal strength, the internal fortitude to somehow overcome yourself. As a matter of fact, Paul paints the opposite picture, that it's not your willpower that's going to help you have self-control. Uh, it's something outside of you, something that's greater than you, because you and I live in this world full of mud, and we can't expect to wear white jeans and not get them dirty on our own. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 24 and 25. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, self-control comes as a result of a couple things. Uh, one, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's our desire to feel respected or honored, um, we don't like to admit that we actually need God. And here's what Paul is saying. What a wretched man that I am. He's saying, listen, I cannot look to myself to be my own savior. I need Jesus. Years ago, I did prison ministry, and I would always talk to people about what I was doing, and they would say, oh, man, those people really, really need Jesus. I'm like, no, you need Jesus. You and I need Jesus just as much or more, and they might be able to accept it more readily because they're locked up, 
But you and I, this is what Paul is saying. Listen, this dude wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and this is what he's saying. Oh, wretched man that I am. And listen, a true encounter with the divine doesn't leave you feeling like you're gravy and you have done everything on your own. But the opposite is true. All throughout Scripture, when men and women encountered the living God, uh, their reaction is not that they're so great on their own. But like Isaiah, they would say, woe am I from an unclean person with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That a true encounter with God, that, listen, true Christianity is not that you're better than someone else or you're stronger on your own or that somehow you have the secret sauce that you're cooking that makes you better than everybody else, but it's a simple recognition that you need a Savior. And guess what? The good news of the gospel, not the good advice, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is our willing, ready, and able Savior. So the first thing that we need to recognize is that we need help. So many people wait until uh, they've gotten it kind of figured out before they come to church. And that's probably the number one reason that people don't come and join Christian community because they're like, well, I got to figure out a couple of things on my own first. When I talk to people on the street, in the gym, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to come to church. I just got to get a couple things figured out first, and then I'm going to come. And here's a reality that uh, pastors like me have done a really poor job in. Uh, we present and we, pro- we project that we're so great, but we got it all figured out on our own. But really, this is what we're saying. What a wretched man that I am. And they take away the saving grace of Jesus, and I am nothing. And that's true for all of us. So Paul mentions, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul is talking about two things, about how Jesus Christ delivers us. And I've been thinking about this a lot this whole week. How does Jesus actually deliver you uh, and make you able to be a self-controlled person who does what they value instead of what your impulses drive you to do? Now, I think that's two parts. One, a very practical piece is you and I will become who we hang around. In Acts 4 and 13, um, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is what they noted. When they saw uh, Peter and John's character, they said, Oh, these men have been with Jesus. And to a certain degree, the more and more time that you and I spend with Jesus, gradually, it doesn't happen overnight, you and I will become more and more like him. And it says that in Hebrews uh, 2 and 11, it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus lets us hang around him. Now, anybody who's a a younger sibling, you probably get this piece. Uh, If you're an older sibling, then you're probably the perpetrator of this, so shame on you. Uh, but I grew up and my brother would never let me hang out with him and his friends. Anybody ever experienced that? I'm still processing this with my therapist. Don't worry about it. But every time, like, I was like 14, every time uh, his friends would come over to pick him up, I would run in the back, throw on my navy blue cargo pants, those are my party pants, and I was like, yo, let's, we about to get it on. And he would turn around and look at me like, man, you ain't hanging out with us. And he would send us away. Here's what scripture tells us, even though you and I don't measure up on our own, even though we're not the cool kids, even though we're not desirable on our own, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus will allow us to hang out with him. And in hanging out with Jesus and in spending time with him in cultivating that relationship, you and I will become more like Jesus and in in turn will become more self-controlled. Now, the, the second piece of this, which is really cool, Paul asked the question, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Um, and it's a really interesting concept. So Paul grew up in a town near Tar- called Tarsus, and there was a, a village of people near Tarsus that this was their punishment for people who had committed a crime like murder. They would literally tie the corpse of the person, uh, of the person who you killed to the killer. 
So ankle to ankle, wrist to wrist, face to face, stomach to stomach, that was the punishment for killing somebody. You had to be tied to the person that you killed. And in essence, this is what would happen. The person would be suffocated to death. And here's what Paul is saying. Who's going to deliver me from this great body of death? Because Paul is feeling guilty about all of the things that he's done in his life. And his guilt is suffocating him. And his guilt is suffocating him to such a degree that he always feels guilty. So instead of feeling accepted and loved, he's always in search of acceptance and recognition. Instead of being able to rest, that you're calm and you're loved and that uh, God invites you and accepts you to his family, instead, we're always in search of validation because deep down inside, this is what Paul is saying, and I know this to be true in my life and so many others, deep down inside, we don't, we're always in search of validation because we feel this nagging sense of guilt that plagues our life. That no matter where we turn, no matter what new city we go to, no matter what new group of friends we get, that we're always in search of validation because we feel that we're carrying around this penalty and it's suffocating us. So this is why Paul says, but thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is why in the very next verse, he says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And here's what Paul links to self-control, is your ability to know that you are forgiven, received, welcomed into the home and the family of Jesus without condition. And this is the only way that uh, Paul would describe for us to be able to experience a renewal and a restoration of our appetites, that no longer do we need to go in search of fame, uh, that we can feel validated by who God is and God, and God alone. And it's in the distortion of our appetites. It's in the distortion of all of the things that we feel so heavily in our lives. And if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, that we um, day in and day out are looking to measure up every single day. There's not a conversation that you and I have that we're not constantly thinking, what is this other person thinking about me right now? And our brains are always on. We're always aware of this void inside of our life. And here's what Paul is getting at. Thanks be to God, because there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a, a gift of the Spirit. In my CBR journal, almost every day I pray, uh, when it gets to the part about supplication, I pray that God would let me experience and feel the depths to which I am loved and forgiven in Him. And by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, you and I will experience that on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, we're about to do something called communion. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now here's what communion is. Communion is a meal that Jesus shared with his friends 2,000 years ago. Uh, and today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come to the table of Jesus, and I want you to, to receive forgiveness. I want you to imagine and envision in your head that the cords of, um, are, the cords of penalty ha are being separated in your life, because this is what Jesus has done for us, that there is no more penalty that you have to pay, but Jesus himself has paid it. I used to love the old song, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he has washed me white as snow. And in doing so, Jesus has uh, his, um, uh, some bread that he broke. He says, hey, this is my body, 
which was broken for you. And he took out some wine, and he poured that, and says, and this is my, my blood, which is poured out for you for the remission of sins. Debt paid, no more need to carry around the guilt of the corpse of all the things that we have done. But you and I are free and forgiven in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, you know the level of guilt and shame that we carry around on a daily basis. Uh, the things that cause us to want to measure up so frequently. Holy Spirit, would you allow us to feel the freedom in you? That we would know how much we need you and how much we are accepted by you. And it would not send us into this endless oblivion in search of acceptance in other places. Father, would you bless us and keep us. Encourage our hearts. God, work on our hearts to help us experience the gospel, uh, to experience real renewal from your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.